Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello and welcome to Sports Beat After Hours. Woo! I am your host, Hemahe Mooley Jr., and I'm joined as always with the local lovable Canuck, fresh from the smoky mountaintops or rocky top, whatever they're called, Zach Hicken. Chee-hoo! <laughs> I love it. I had a heck of a time down in uh, the. Uh... The Knoxville. Smoky Mountains in Knoxville, enjoying the time <laughs> with the locals and uh, enjoying the cuisine, if you will. I got fresh fish caught from uh, the uh, the uh, Tennessee River. Oh. That is the Tennessee River. Did you uh, find some uh, moonshine? When I asked what kind of uh, uh, fish it was, I was expecting maybe a little tilapia, maybe a little trout. I was just told that it was breaded. <laughs> it's breaded fish. Um, like no, the I'm swimming a, kind. No, <laughs> look. Let me tell you what. Had a heck of a time out in Tennessee. This was probably one of my favorite trips that I've taken since I started working here at KSL. I've done some great ones. I went to Columbus with the illustrious Jeremiah Jensen for mm-hmm. the uh, NC two way tournament. Uh, I went to New Mexico, which. Not a lot to see there. Low-key, great cuisine. Low-key, great cuisine. You uh-huh. will hear me rant about it on this pod for years and years and years. The green chilies are where it's at. <laughs> I would gladly go back to the Gildan New Mexico Bowl. I don't know if that's still the sponsor, but hmm. I want to go back to the New Mexico Bowl just to have some green chili because it's so good. Shouts to the isotopes. Shouts to the isotopes. Yeah, the ABQ isotopes play right across from... Uh, uh, it's not Lobo Stadium. It's like Dreamcaster Stadium or oh, something right, like right. that. Something weird. Or Sky Dream Stadium. Uh, right across from where uh, the pit is and where the Lobo football team plays. Mm-hmm. It's all like in this little complex. But, um, yeah, this trip to Tennessee was great. Uh, I was out there with uh, our BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Never heard of him. Um, I was out there with Alex Keery and le- last but not least, Sam Farnsworth and um, they're great travel partners. Alex and Mitch had me laughing the whole time. It's so funny. If you guys want an insight into like how connected Mitch is with this program. So we were staying at the same hotel as the BYU football team. Okay. And 
we wanted to get footage of them arriving after they landed at the airport, arriving at the team hotel. So we went and set up our cameras, and Mitch was getting some stuff on his iPhone to use for social. All these players and coaches are stopping and saying hi to Mitch as they walk into the What's hotel. Up, Mitch? No, for real. Kalani's like, what's up, Mitch? What's up? And meanwhile, Sam, me, and Alex are just sitting there, just getting completely ignored. And everyone's just like, yo, Mitch, what's up, dude? What's up, Boos? What's up, Toko? Balangi? And uh, for it, real stuff, it's like, it's, it's. You got to feel for Alex because, like, no one knows what he looks like, I guess. Like, no, everyone knows who Alex is, but not a lot of people know who he is. And he had, like, a lot of, like, really funny stories about, like, incidences where people would be, like, he'd, like, be standing somewhere and he'd start talking. And so would be like, uh-huh. Alex Carey, Nightside Project. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> just over the years. So, um, were there, you know, was anyone like, Zach Hicken, Sports Beat After Hours? You know, I actually got a couple people. Some, really? Some UT co-eds, actually. That's what I'm talking um, about. They uh, they hit me up, asked if I wanted to go party with them. I said, uh, no, thank you, sir. But no. Um, <laughs> sir, they were, they were guide co-eds. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, we, we had a great time, though. We got there Thursday. Um, like I said, we were staying at the team hotel. We went and took in the sights and sounds of Neyland Stadium. Cool. On Thursday, snuck in. And, uh, man, that place is unbelievable. I mean, it's like a cathedral mm. to college football. It's built back in 1921. It's undergone 12 renovations. It wow. is massive. 102,000 people it sits. Oh, my gosh. And uh, it's cool. When you go in, when we went in when it was empty, it was just eerie. Like, mm. you think about, like, all the, the history there. Right. Um, six-time national champions. Mm-hmm. You have the sheriff. Peyton Manning right. started it. He, he began his career there. That's where he played college. And it's it's just the history involved with that program. What a cool experience for the BYU football team to go there and not only go there and just play there, but go there and win in historic fashion, uh-huh. in dramatic fashion, in improbable fashion, in the .01% Lloyd Christmas. You're saying I still have a chance. <laughs> They pull it out somehow. I still, I was standing there when that happened. I was like 20 yards from Micah Simon when he yeah. caught that ball. And I still can't believe that the uh, the cornerback that was covering him got completely turned around like and freeing up Micah. It was insane. the most bizarre thing. Like, you can't script like a better comeback story than that. And this really helps BYU moving forward because they needed that win. Oh, yes. If they go 0-2 to start... The season, it's the first time the Cougars would have gone 0-2 since 1995. Wow. It's also the first time that the Tennessee Volunteers started a season 0-2 since 1988. Holy cow. Tennessee is more in a crisis mode than BYU is, though. Sure. Um, There are some expectations for this BYU team preseason. And you couple a a loss to not a great Tennessee team, Mm -hmm. um, followed up with... Uh, you know, Utah's great. We're going to talk about Utah later. Yes. Utah's a great team. But the fact that it was the ninth in a row, if you replace that name, Utah, with Washington, Oregon, and you put that same ranking that they had in the first week, week number 14, and it's Stanford or USC, uh, who the Cougars will be facing this week, or mm-hmm. Oregon or Washington or Washington State or Texas or Oklahoma or any other major p5 program that loss doesn't sting as much mm-hmm. i i think that there's some frustrations but there's not calls for kalani satake to lose his job like there right. were you know but
But having that ninth loss in a row, a decade of dominance mm-hmm. against your rival, I understand the frustration. So this yes. was kind of a nice way for uh, um, the Cougars to kind of get a little bit of a chaser, yeah. kind of wash that bad taste out of their mouth and um, refocus and, and move forward. And um, getting that win, I think, was really important. And it, it didn't come. It wasn't a pretty win. Ugh, no, it was not. It was ugly. It was three quarters of just awful football on both sides, to be honest. Um, and I'm just going to say this. I No slide on Micah Simon, but if you would have told me at the beginning of the game that Micah Simon was going to be the receiver, the go-to guy with the biggest catches of the night, I wouldn't have believed you. It's just... Uh, it's just crazy how quickly things can change. Absolutely. I mean, you're go, you're looking at a guy who, I mean, he's a senior. He's been um, through a, a rough road through BYU. It hasn't Absolutely. been an easy road. He was a team captain last year, but he got relegated to second string just because he struggled on the field. He struggled to um, separate himself as a playmaker on the field. His leadership has always been there. Yes. He's always Great been guy. so key as a leader for the Cougars. But it just hasn't necessarily always translated to big play uh, on the field. Yeah. But we saw that um, Saturday against the Volunteers. Anytime that BYU needed a big first down, Zach Wilson, he wasn't going to Matt Bushman. Matt Matt Bushman only had two uh, catches on the night. None in the second half. They both came in the first half. Okay. Zach Wilson, he was looking to Alevahifa, but Alevahifa... He's getting keyed on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Micah Simon is getting catches. He's moving the sticks. Mm-hmm. He picked up like four or five first first downs. He had, what, seven catches for 127 yards or something like that, mm-hmm. including that 64-yard catch at the end of the game. The one you, everyone listening knows what I'm talking about, the one at the end of the game. But um, offensively, Micah Simon was as key to that win as anyone else. And I'm e- including... Tyson Williams, yes. who literally put this team on his back. On his back. Especially to start the second half. It was huge for BYU. So little momentum in that first half. And let me, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, that that turnover from Kavika Fanua, and then BYU yeah. capitalizes, and Tyson Williams just runs it down Tennessee's throat and, and uh, gets it within a one-score game. And I'm just going to remind people that, I think it was in the, our last podcast, um, or maybe it was a couple ago, Right after BYU lost to Utah, um, we talked about how Tyson Williams only got seven touches, and it was egregious. And I said, if they are looking to make any changes, any at all, for this next game against Tennessee, they're going to have to feed Tyson Williams. For three quarters of that game on Saturday, I was like, where are all of Tyson's touches? Where are they? I think he had some somewhere around like, 10 or 11 before the fourth quarter, which is still not enough. I, I was kind of confused about some of the things they did offensively. Yes. And let's talk about the offense let's. before we move over to the defense because I'm going to have high praises for the defense. Me okay? too. Things okay. are going to be looking great for the defense. But you know what? Let's. Before we go all sunshine and happiness, we're going to have a, some some dark clouds because a, a there were talk. some dark yeah. clouds over this <laughs> offense. Okay, And it started with play one. Yes. Okay. First play of the game, starting offense. Guess who trots out? Did you see who trotted out for the starting offense? No, because I was I was doing some other stuff. Okay, Mason Wake, a walk on 
uh, preferred walk-on, true freshman. He played at Lone Peak last year. He was mm-hmm. kind of a fullback. Yeah, call I ball. He was him. playing um, kind of like this H-back uh, position. Okay. Um, and then uh, Joe Tukuwafu. So Matt Bushman oh is not even in the starting lineup. And yes, I understand. You know what? It's one play. They sure. eventually rotated out. But I just thought that the game plan from the beginning was very odd. They were doing a lot of very odd things, and I just didn't feel like they have, through through the first seven quarters that BYU has played on offense, I felt that they did not have an identity. No. Nope. They finally figured out the identity of what this team needs to be in that fourth quarter and in overtime. Yeah. And it's, you know what? Use the run to set up the pass, mm-hmm. and uh, and then just go back to the run once, uh, once the... <laughs> Box clears out a little bit because yeah. you have a dang good running back. This is a guy with an NFL skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has some attributes that are better. And I, I know this is saying a lot. He has some attributes that are better than Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams was sure. such a good physical between the tackles runner. But guess what? Tyson Williams can go off tackle, and he has breakaway speed. He's yeah. going to pull away from people, and he can make me pu- people miss, and he's still physical. He's going to break tackles. And, I mean, you saw on that game-winning touchdown, he dragged the pile with his hogs up front. Yeah. Um, it they, was it was probably like 10 seconds of straight pushing. They pushed four yards back. Insane. They just out-physical Tennessee on that last play. And that's what you saw. You know what? you got to rely on these big hogs. This is a good, experienced mm-hmm. offensive line. And their strength is run blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really good last year run blocking with not a great running back stable. Mm-hmm. They, the You saw late in the season, Matt Hadley, a converted linebacker safety, is running all over teams, including the Utes, because these guys are physical, tough, they're freaks, and they want to put their hand in the dirt and just destroy an opposing defensive line mm-hmm. and they got an opportunity to do that um they saw some red and uh they uh they kicked some trash in fourth quarter in, in the two overtimes that they played and let me let me tell you something that bothers me and we've talked about this before um what bothers me is when offensive coordinators on third and short whether it's on the goal line or if you're going to get a first down it drives me crazy when offensive coordinators throw on third and short. And I don't want to say that Grimes doesn't trust his line because I'm pretty sure he does. He's a line guy after all. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I feel like the play calling reflects a sort of attitude where they – feel like they need to get chunk yardage now, so they throw. Instead of just putting it in the hands of the running back and putting it on the backs of the O-linemen. That bothers me. And we'll talk about this later when we start talking about USC. Um, But it applies here with BYU. And I feel like Grimes needs to learn um, that this offensive line and this running back core, all of them, I think, but especially Tyson Williams can get the job done in short yarded situations, and they should just rely on that more. No, absolutely. I think I think some of the thinking is, you know, entering the season, the thought was that Zach Wilson was the best player on this offense, best offensive playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
there's a case that can be made that you want to put the the ball in your best player's hands. But what we've seen through two games is that Tyson Williams is a guy that you can rely on. Yeah. Um, Zach has been good, not great, but he's been good these first two games. He's been tested. Um, and he's had to do a lot. And he's had to do a lot. He's been asked to do a lot. He's also felt that he's needed to do a lot and forced a lot of things that he probably necessarily hasn't needed to. Um, but what we are, uh, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is um, Zach's still young. He's still a sophomore. Yeah. He's a film junkie. He's going to improve and continue to get better. But you know what? He's got to understand that there are times when he was rolling out in this game and he's going to pick it up. Yeah. There are times that he's rolling out in this game and instead of going for a run, I can't remember a single designed run for Zach Wilson in this game. Mm. Um, he actually only ended up, I'm going to look it up right now as I'm talking, but um, he uh, he didn't run the ball very much in this game. I, I, I don't have a specific number. I only remember a handful of times where he, it wasn't like a sack or like where he yeah. was chased down. Um. But he, I can't recall any designed runs, and I, there were a lot of times on like third and short where it was a called pass. He'd feel pressure, he'd roll out, and he'd throw the ball away instead of just gotcha trying to scam, scramble to pick up the first down. And that's just a mistake that you can't make. And so, if that's the case, BYU needs to go to just a called run, yeah, and just have Tyson pick it up, and yeah. so that way you can sustain drives. And let us be clear, like we're not saying that we don't want Zach to throw it away if he feels like it's that's a bad if there's no other option what we're saying is you watch zach wilson against utah and he should have slid several times just feet first take the tackle but he tried to like maybe pump it up for an extra couple yards or he went head first to try and get a yard or two and we were saying this we're like don't do that zach like we need you to stay healthy in this game you know, it would have been nice for him to scramble for a couple extra yards, but he shouldn't have to, knowing what we know about Tyson Williams. And I think that's what you're getting at. So, I completely agree. I think. Uh, did Did you find out how much he? Uh, Still trying to find. Um, the it, thing that's kind of funny about. So he had six rushes for minus six yards. His long was twelve, and it was on that. Um, mm. was the play before the uh, the the catch, the Micah Simon catch. Uh-huh. Um, where he scrambled, and you know what? That was the, the wrong place to scramble because they <laughs> didn't have any time. Less than ten seconds left. Uh, yeah, there was like there was forty five seconds oh, or so left that at that was? time, and okay. he scrambled, and the clock's running because they don't have any timeouts. He wasn't able to get out of bounds, and so frantically they make that play call at the line. Oh, this was before the, the four catch, go sorry. routes, and that's the next play that goes. Right, they right, just right. end up sending four go routes, and luckily it was a blown coverage and. Um, BYU capitalized it, but yeah. yeah, that was, uh, that was the, that's not a situation to scramble, but, um, yeah, that was, uh, um, by the way, I thought the game was over at this Everyone point. did. Because I mean, BYU was at their own like nine or 10 or something like that. Yeah. With less than a minute they left. They start, they start that series off with a holding penalty. Right. And so immediately they're at like first and first and 15. Um, yeah, it was just insane. They, they, they found, I, I can't believe that they found a way to, um, pull out this win because they kind of just shot themselves in a foot in the foot consistently throughout the game. Offensively. Just, well, I, they even overall. Yeah. Overall. Um, 
they just made some dumb mistakes penalty wise, mm-hmm. face masks, um, oh, targeting sure, stuff sure. like that. Just stuff that you got to clean up these next two weeks because I mean Washington doesn't look as good as maybe we thought they would be. Right. USC looked a little bit better, but again, we're gonna get to that a little bit later because I just want to keep talking about this game because um, as much as we're kind of harping on the offense, you know, I, I will say this: Tyson Williams was great. Zach Wilson was good. Yeah. Um, he can be better though, and I I know Zach will agree with me on this that he can perform better than he did. Micah Simon was huge. Um, I mean, seriously, what a performance from Crazy. Micah Simon. We already talked about that though. Let's talk about the defense. Let's do it. I loved what we saw from this defense, okay? And I'm going to name some names about guys that just balled out, okay? Starting up front, Zofawatea. Oh, my gosh. This guy was making plays in the backfield. He was causing problems for the Tennessee offensive line. Yeah. It seemed like whenever there was a big, um, uh, some sort of, like, big disruption on the front, like, down in the trenches, Zofawatea's name was being called. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah, I, I liked what we saw from him. I'm excited to see him and Kyrus um, kind of paired together. Yeah. I, I liked what we saw from that defensive front this week, okay? Kavika Fanua. Insane. Okay, this guy has just been through so much adversity throughout his uh, BYU career. Yeah. Just injuries and moving, moving positions. Yeah. And just hasn't been able to find any consistency. That interception was huge. That gave BYU all the momentum that they had um, heading into that uh that first drive of the second half without that, I don't know that BYU is able to dig deep and make anything happen. Right. Um, and then this guy, I'm going to sing his praises. Okay. Austin freaking Lee. Austin freaking Lee. Okay. Austin Lee, two big pass breakups, uh, huge open field tackle, um, in the second half that, mm-hmm. uh, forced Tennessee to punt, um, out on the edge, like one-on-one just huge. Um, this guy's a, a playmaker. He's a ball hawk, and he's making. I mean, BYU has a history of like big playmaking safeties. Uh, sure, I, throughout its history, but I mean, even you go back to like Andrew Rich and then Daniel Sorensen, yeah, and Craig Bills and Kai Nakua and Micah Hanneman, and Austin Lee's just from that same vein. He's physical. He likes to tackle. Mm-hmm. He'll come down in the box. He'll make big hits. But at the same time, uh, this guy is gonna. Um, He's going to make tackles. He's going to make big plays, and um, he's going to get pass breakups. And so, um, pretty cool to see just where he's come from. His um, how far he's come in his career in the in the I guess three years that he's been with the program. Because I guess he did redshirt for a year. But um, yeah, I I loved what I saw from Austin Lee. And you need a leader in that secondary, um, just because you know they they are missing Troy Warner. Mm-hmm. Um, they're missing. Um. Uh, 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 Wilcox and um, Dion Goodwallock, who's that guy, and like, like him, uh, Isaiah Kafusi and yeah. um, uh, Kyrus Tonga are just like guys that like. It's a given, like any given week, that they're going to be making big plays mm-hmm. when BYU needs them. But getting big plays from like these other guys is super key. And there's one more guy that I haven't mentioned yet. Let's who's, do it. Game I loved. Okay. Okay. He fills in. Um. He he got a hu- he had a huge role. Chaz Ayu. Yes. Okay. Chaz Ayu had BYU's lone sack in the game. Um. He had two tackles, but he also on that pick. Um. For uh for, uh, 
uh, Kavika. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that that um, play even happened was because Chaz actually, with his um, coverage, he actually forced the quarterback to look inside. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and makes the throw, and Kavika was there to make the play and um, just instinctive and um, took advantage of it. And so Chaz Ayu is like, I mean, he's one of the biggest recruits that Kalani Sataki has signed mm-hmm. um, since uh, he, he took over as head coach. And um, a lot of expectations for him. A lot him. of expectations for him. And he, he came up in a big way, in a big venue. And his first opportunity since returning from his mission to get some major playing time because they kind of moved Zane Anderson back and forth um, between safety and flash linebacker a little bit. Mm-hmm. You kind of had a little bit different role this week. And Chaz stepped up at that flash linebacker position when. Uh, excuse me, when the Cougars needed him, him to the most. I think one thing that surprised me about the defense the most was they stepped up in a huge way after being what I felt like was on the field for like most of the game. They yeah. were on the field for quite a bit. So the possession, the time of possession. um, Officially, what was it? It was actually 34 to 26 for Tennessee. 34 minutes of possession for Tennessee to our 26. Okay. To BYU's 26. Which is pretty close, but still, it's it's it makes a difference. And my theory is that the more your offense is on the field, the more your defense can win it. And I think um, BYU's defense, okay, obviously BYU's offense stepped up to win the game, but I feel like the defense won it for us mm-hmm. in the sense that they came up with big tackles and big plays and forced um, three and outs when – frankly, a lot of the three quarters of the game, BYU's offense wasn't really moving or converting much. Right. And so, um, yeah, that time of possession is huge. And so I feel like the defense was on the field for so long, but they still came up big at the end, which is really cool. Well, and they're kind of behind the eight ball from the beginning. Um, BYU's first drive goes seven plays for 27 yards. They only burned just under three minutes off the clock. Tennessee responds, goes 80 yards for a seven-minute drive yeah. on that touchdown. And it was like BYU just kept forcing third and fourth downs, mm-hmm. but Tennessee was able to pick them up. They had that controversial call that um, on the sideline. Yeah, I know a lot of people on TV were saying there's no way he was in. In the stadium, he was in. Yeah. They showed it up on the Jumbotron. I don't know what views were shown on TV, but it was pretty evident on the uh, Jumbotron in the stadium that he was in. And then that touchdown that they even scored – was on fourth and three, um, well, fourth and goal from the three-yard line. Excuse me. you got to get my oh, right, football right, right. lingo corrected. But <laughs> um, Kavika Fanua batted the ball up, and it just ended up right, right. Um, landing right in the hands of a Jennings. Like, Juwan Jennings, if he's not standing right where he was, he doesn't get that touchdown. Right. But you know what? Sometimes it made it for a better play. It made yeah. for a better story for the game. And so um, – yeah, it was uh I mean just this win I I still can't believe that it happened and um yeah, it was it was just so cool to be out there. I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about before we move on to Utah. Um cuz you were at the Utah game, so we're we're going to yeah, you break we'll, we'll that down. We'll get there. That way you don't have to listen to my voice all the time, but um and Knoxville is just such a cool place. <laughs> yeah. The the people there are so polite. Like we first pull up and they're calling us sweetie pie and uh, <laughs> sugar bug and uh, pumpkin and just um, like sweetie and you know all that stuff and they're just oh what you what you doing here from Utah sweetie 
Uh, yeah, I'm here for the uh, the game on Saturday. BYU's playing Tennessee. Oh, well now, Sugar, did uh, did uh, we pay them that BYU football team? Did we pay them a million dollars to come out and kick our butts again, just like <laughs> we did last week against Georgia Southern? Because, you know what? Uh, I think we're really gonna struggle a little bit because we just haven't been great. And uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for you guys to come out and cover this team, um, Sugar Bug, and so. The people were great. Um, I mean, super nice. Super that's, nice. That's my, what I heard. my favorite part about the whole freaking thing is that Knoxville is the birthplace of Mountain Dew. What? Yes, that's the it's, official drink of the Sports Beat After Hours podcast. It's the official drink of the KSL Sports dot <laughs> com Sports Department. KSL Sports Department. We, I, I'm ninety percent sure if you were to chop off my arm, um, that I would bleed Mountain Dew. <laughs> Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. So, but oddly enough, it's a Coke town, so everywhere has Mellow oh, Yellow. Oh, cool! Like everywhere we went had Mellow Yellows. But um, most of the South is a Coke town, though. Honestly, yeah, they had a big Coca Cola factory like right on the outskirts oh, cool. of town. But yeah, Knoxville, cool little college town. Um, we went to this place called Gus's, which um, I, I put on the recommendation on my Twitter account to go check it out. It's like the place where like all the vol players go and um, all the students go, and it's just this absolute dive of a restaurant where you can just get greasy late night food, like okay. pub food, um, after your after a night out party, and you want to soak up all those coeds want to soak up all that alcohol. They're going to go to <laughs> the Gus's and get themselves a nice burger, some mozzarella sticks, ooh, uh, to kind of soak up to help with that hangover the next morning. <laughs> But, um, no, it was a great trip, and I got to give props to uh, Alex and Mitch. Those guys had uh, – I was busting my stitches the entire time. They just had me laughing. Dude, I was so um, jealous. Like, I saw your, like, tweets and, like, your texts and everything. I'm like, oh, they're having so much fun. And we right were, now. like – we, I mean, not that we were, like, doing anything crazy. Just clarifying that for the bosses that are listening, Nate. But we are. Um, we No, we really didn't do anything like too crazy, but we just were out taking in the scenes of the town. And like on Friday night, we went and hung out on, well, we wouldn't, didn't go hung, hang out on Cumberland Street because we went to Cumberland Street and that's like <laughs> where all the, we, we just asked someone at a restaurant, hey, what are like the cool hangout places? Like if we want to go catch a football game, right? like where's like a restaurant or bar that's going to be open late that we can go watch some games at? We're all drinking Diet Coke, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but I was told to go to Gay Street or Cumberland Avenue. Okay. And so we go to Gay Street. <laughs> There's not really a whole lot going on there. And so we're like, okay, let's go check out Cumberland. This place is hopping. I'm pretty sure the entire UT student body was there. Okay. And we roll up in this Chrysler Pacifica <laughs> band playing. We asked Sam. He was DJing from the car. And we're like, yo, Sam, can uh, you guess like some Drake? That's like what the kids like this day. He goes, Dre? <laughs> like the chronic? <laughs> so he starts playing Dr. Dre from 1998. <laughs> and we're just rolling. And I'm the youngest person in, in this crew. Um, I'm the only one that's under 30. Okay. And we're rolling with our windows down, down Cumberland Avenue. And every single co-ed walking down the street, every single student, it just turned looking at us. I have never felt so out of place in my entire life. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I am the youngest person in most settings, whether it's at some media scrum. Heck, I'm younger than most of the BYU football players, okay? (laughs) But I'm there hanging out on UT campus at Cumberland Avenue, 
And I feel like I am 50 years old because <laughs> I am looking at these kids and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. you guys are 14 years old. Not literally. So, but not literally. Like they that. just look like they're 14. Like, these kids haven't even started growing, like, facial hair yet. Oh my gosh. Um, And so... We quickly wrapped up our night on Cumberland Avenue and just ended up going back to the hotel and watching some football back from our hotel rooms. Tickets to go, right? Is that yes. What yeah, yeah, yeah. We turned around pretty quick, but it was just so funny because everyone's just looking sideways at us as we're rolling yeah. down. Got the windows rolled down, and I've never felt so out of place in my entire life. Oh my gosh, that's so. Funny. It was pretty funny, but it was a good trip. Um, I definitely heck. I would go out to Knoxville just for any random game if they're playing. They're playing Chattanooga next week. Ooh. If I didn't have a work right. conflict next week, I would go out to Neyland Stadium. I'd be singing Rocky Top. The um, videos looked really cool of everyone singing and stuff. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that place is so, so cool. It's so historic. There's so much history that's happened there. And um really, really glad I got the opportunity to go there. Um but uh, that's all I have for the Tennessee game. We talked way too long about it. Let's talk about um, the Utah-Northern Illinois game. Because you were there. Let's go from the uh, Rocky at, Top. Uh, I know. At, Rice Eccles. At Rice Eccles. Yeah, let's go from uh, Rocky Top. To the hill. To the hill. Um, On the hill. So weird because, like you said, breakfast at Rice Eccles. It was an early game, 11 o'clock kickoff. Um it was so hot. That's the let, let me just get out how hot it was on the field. And you guys got turf there. Yeah, it's it turf. It's like the sun is like cooking the turf and it's radiating from the bottom. All of us are like we have to wear the Pac-12 vests when you're on the field if you're not a staff or something like that. And so that's just an extra layer of clothes. I was like sweating, just dripping off my face. And to make matters worse, it was like NIU scored first, like in the first quarter. Yeah, so we couldn't get the Pac-12 network out there. Oh, really? And so, oh yeah. I mean, the Pac-12 network doesn't go east of the Mississippi, so. Oh, that's true. Um, we're like, just not like, even on your phones. <laughs> um, well, I don't have a TV provider that works with the Pac-12 network, so uh, let's get on that, Larry <laughs> Scott. But freaking a man. Um, no, I'm just kind of following along with my phone. I'm just like, what the heck is going on? Like, yeah, just. It was a weird start to the game, but eventually the Utes collected themselves and showed why they're the number 11 ranked team in the country. And, you know, the game got markedly better before the half and then after the half. Utah, notoriously, they're a second half adjustments team. They'll always make the right adjustments, and it's always a game of two of What is the saying? A game, game of, of two, two halves. halves. Yeah. They are definitely the epitome of that because um, – the the defense wasn't playing so great in the first half. Um, in fact, I think I think NIU scored fourteen points in the first half, um, and I think Utah was twenty one or twenty eight. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember. But um, their offense, NIU's offense, was buzzing pretty good. Uh, they had like a seventy yard touchdown. And get this, Bowers, Ross Bowers is their quarterback. Does that name sound familiar to you at all? Uh, I think so. Um, he faced the Utes when he was on his former team, the uh, the Cal Golden Bears. He was oh, the quarterback okay. for Cal. He was r- really good back then. Um, 
And even back then, I remember him scoring a touchdown where he did like a front flip into the end zone, and that happened on Saturday too against the Utes. Um, but the Hollandale trio came to play. Um, Damari Simpkins scored his first rushing rushing touchdown ever off of a short pass oh, and like cool. ran into the end zone. That was the first touchdown by the Utes, and then Tyler Huntley scored the second touchdown. Tyler Huntley. Looking like a new man with the extra 25 pounds that he put on in the offseason. He's just, like, running people over. Um, He's like, you so poo-poo. He's like, you so poo-poo. And then he smashes their face into the ground. (laughs) Uh, And then Zach Moss. Zach Moss is the best running back in the state. Um, And he showed it on Saturday. Might be the best running back in... uh... Not only in his conference, possibly in the entire country. He's dang good. I think so, too. Um... He had two touchdowns, I think, on the day, um, one on in each half. But he – let me see if I can look up his stats real quick. Um, but he rushed for – oh, he did. that's right. He didn't rush for 100 yards. No, he was around like a 90-something, wasn't he? Yeah. He didn't quite get there. Um, NIU had a really good defensive plan to try and stop him, but he still – he still averaged, I'm guessing, probably like five he had yards. Four, four and a half yards per yeah. carry, okay. 80 yards. He was moving it, for sure. Um, so the real story that I wanted to get to was the defense in the second half. Um, after the game, in the press conference, they asked Bradley and I what like was said in the locker room or whatever, or what the attitude was, and he said that they were pissed off that NIU came in and scored 14 straight points in the in their house. And they scored first, and so the defense was pissed off. And you could see it in the second half. Bradley and I um, had a sack. Had three sacks. Oh, three sacks. And a strip sack, I think, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, And then uh, Devin Lloyd had a a sack. And then also someone else did too. I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, That was actually it. Um, That was it? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the stats, so I'm just going to speak for Hammer really quick. No, you're good. Josh Nurse had a tackle for loss. Francis Bernard and Terrell Burgess combined for a tackle for loss. So, and then the the secondary was shut down in the second half, dude. I think NIU only scored a field goal. I think. Oh, there's five pass deflections. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, and then uh, our boy Julian Blackman, uh, he had a pick. Should have had three, but um. He had an interception um, in the second half, and, you know, that was that. Uh, then Utah just uh, did what they did. Final score was like 35 to 17 or you something. You got like it. That. Was that it? Yeah, 35 to okay. 17. Um, next up for the Utes, they play Idaho State, so kind of a little bit of a warm-up game because <laughs> it's by a week, week after they play, <laughs> they play USC yeah, so on Friday night. Interesting enough, so BYU plays USC – this next so week. So you've been super interested in USC, like, not only, like, for the BYU and yes. the Utah game. Let's talk you about You were it. interested this last week because, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert for those of you that don't know, even though Hema is a legacy member of the uh, BYU Cougars, <laughs> his brother defected and went to Stanford. Yes. He's the starting fullback for the Stanford Cardinal. Um, and Stanford played at the Coliseum this past week. So after BYU's awesome win against Tennessee, that game pushed the Stanford-USC game late. 
And so I went home and went to sleep and I'm like, I'll watch this tomorrow. Woke up the next morning and Stanford got freaking smashed by USC. Uh, it was like 45 to 20 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and the thing that's funny about it, it was kind of like the tale of two games because um, if I understand correctly, I didn't get a chance to watch this um, just because I was still at the stadium for the BYU game for post-game stuff. But um, Stanford was up like 20 to 7. And then they didn't score the rest of the so game. So weird. It was awful. Um, so I was interest in, instantly interested in like what the hell happened. And so I came back to the station started going through game film. And let me tell you this. People are worried that USC is like, oh, snap, they beat Stanford. Um, They're back. Clay Helton's heat's not so hot anymore. Well, and I think part of the reason that people are like, SC's back is because Texas lost this weekend. Yeah. It's always Texas or <laughs> SC have to be Someone's back. back. Someone One has of them to be is back. always back. Or LSU, which LSU looked damn they are, good this They're week. legit back. Um, But it's always like, oh, SC's back or Texas is back. Um, when usually it, one of them is playing well while the other isn't, um, and everyone's just trying to relive 2005. Yeah. Um, but Utah fans, BYU fans, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. USC, although they always have the talent and they are a good team, I do not think that they are back. Uh, Stanford played an awful You're game. You're talking about the 24th ranked team in the country. Yeah. Just disregard that. Okay. okay. If you're a BYU fan, um, pay attention because I think there's some areas of USC's game that you need to be worried about. But as far as Utah, um, at the end of this short analysis about USC, I think you're going to be fine. I think the Utes are going to get a win, and I think BYU, if they don't clean up their mistakes from the Tennessee game, are going to have uh, a tough time with USC down in Provo. Um so let me start real quick with USC's strengths here. They've got a freshman quarterback right now because JT Daniels is out. Um, Keaton Slovis. Slovis, that's right. Um, against Stanford, he passed for 377 yards. It's insane. He had three touchdowns. His QB rating was 91%, almost 92%. Um, another good player on the offensive side, Vavai Malep. Male Pei, that's right. Um, he's a junior. He's the running back. Um, really explosive, really strong. Um, doesn't have that home run speed that we talk about all the time, but he gets the job done. He kind of reminds me of a Zach Moss, but Zach Moss is better. Okay. But against Stanford, he was running all over them, which is crazy because Stanford has a really good D-line. Um, but the two people that we need to watch out for is their wide receivers, Tyler Vaughns um, and St. Brown, Amon Ra, I think is his name, Amon Ra St. Brown. Those two guys um, ran all over Stanford, um, mostly because Slovis was picking on their corners. Is he like an Egyptian god? That's that's It's an Egyptian name, right? I wasn't quite sure, but I'm pretty— I just remember when I was a little kid and would play Yu-Gi-Oh cards. It was like an <laughs> Amon Ra or something like that. Okay. I was going more for the like Prince of Egypt. I think uh, in one of the songs they say Amon Ra in it. Anyways, um, those are the two guys you got to watch out for. Um, okay, you know there actually is an Egyptian god named Amon Ra. Okay, so we're not crazy. Uh, so little uh, Egyptology here for you <laughs> who are interested. Uh, Amon is a major 
ancient Egyptian deity who appears as a member of the uh, Hermopo- Hermopolitan uh, Ogdoad <laughs> or Ogdode. What the? Um, a moon, uh, or sorry, Ammon was attested from uh, the old kingdom together with his wife Amonet. Uh, with the 11th dynasty, Amun rose to the position of patron deity of Thebes hmm. by replacing Montu. After the rebellion of Thebes against the Hiskos, and with the rule of Amos I in the 16th century BC, Amun uh, acquired national importance, expressed his fusion um, in his fusion with the sun god Ra, and okay. became known as Amun Ra. Oh my gosh. Wow. So there's your <laughs> lesson on Egyptology today. Um if uh if you would look more if you would like more um you can turn to uh the book of abraham <laughs> okay so back to usc <laughs> from the egyptians to the trojans um the, the trojan the, war the wide receivers are people we got to watch out for so like uh well michael pittman junior is like no one to like sure ignore him he's 64220 yeah that's true but what they like to do is they like to run like this trips formation where they like trips on one side, a single wide receiver on the other side. And like you said, it could be any three of these wide receivers that's on the the one receiver side. That cornerback's going to have his hands full, whoever it is, whether it's Gallows or whoever would be covering him for BYU. Um, you got to watch out because those guys will run all over you. On the defensive side for USC, okay, do you remember this name? Jay Tufele? Yeah, he uh, he played at was it the Bingham Miners? The Bingham Miners. <laughs> now this this dude's a beast, and he balls out every week. No, last year as a true freshman, I think he had like a block kick. Can't remember who it was against, but it was a, a an opposing team was trying to kick a game winning field goal, and he blocked the kick to like secure yeah. the win for USC. It's insane. So him and Hufanga is like another uh, interior D lineman. Those two guys are beasts. Um, it was against Washington State. Okay. Um, those two guys are going to be uh, important for their defense um, because they do kind of like a three-man rush, sometimes four-man rush thing. And these two dudes, Jay especially, they just find a way to get uphill. And so against BYU, I'm I'm really interested to see how it, how it will play out because – you know, BYU's offensive line did so well pushing against Tennessee. SEC talent. It might be a crappy SEC team, but it's an SEC team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be interested to see how that matchup kind of uh, works out. Yeah, I definitely think that BYU is going to um, run the ball more. I Tyson got 17 carries against Tennessee. Um, I'm expecting 20, and then there's probably a split between like 6 and 8 to uh, – um, Emmanuel to Soup and uh, uh, yeah. Lapini. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the running backs ended up getting somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30 touches mm-hmm. and uh, Zach Wilson maybe ended up throwing the ball like 25-ish times. So um, kind of 50-50, but kind of leaning a little bit more towards that run game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously I, I think Zach is going to have to run the ball and reestablish himself as a as a dual, dual threat, threat quarterback because right. he really is a dual threat quarterback and that was just like we said earlier that was one of the things that I just found really odd it was weird about this week was that there just weren't really many runs where he was called um 
to go out and make a play with his legs. And we've seen so many times, whether it's hurdling someone or picking up 26 yards to um, extend a drive, uh, he can get it done. And he's even gotten compared to Johnny Manziel. With like oh, yeah, I saw that. that. Like, it's so bizarre that um, they try to limit that. I don't know. And I don't know what Tennessee saw or what BYU saw in Tennessee. I don't know if they had someone spying. I haven't gotten a chance to look at the right um, at the at the TV angle because I was down on the field. Uh, yes, again, those are the props of this job. I've had like ten people ask me when they see my camera at the airport. Were you at the BYU game? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So were, were you like filming the game? Yeah, like down on the field. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, that would have been so sweet. That would have been so cool. Like, whoa, that's so nice. That's so tight. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, it, cool. it is. My job is really cool. Yeah. It also sucks to have to be running around on a football field when it's 40% humidity and almost 100 degrees oh out. Gosh. But anyway, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. That trip was awesome. Um, Yeah, we. Uh, I, I like Utah's chances against USC. Like you said, BYU is going to need to button some things up. They're not going to sure. be able to run any of this gimmicky offense without an identity in the first three quarters of this game again. Because if they do, you know what? I don't know that um, I, I like BYU's defense, but uh, they might not be in position to uh, win a game like they were against Tennessee if they are doing things like that. No, they just got to. This is what the game plan should be. Just give them the business in Provo and then get cute later if it starts to work. That's that's really all they need to do. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Um, if BYU comes out of this first four weeks, two and two, cool. without any major injuries, that's a great start to this season. Yeah. Um, and BYU could still, you know, end up something like in the eight and four, nine and three neighborhood, which is an improvement from last year. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, we'll we'll see um what USC looks like on Saturday. That game kicking off at one thirty mountain time on ABC, so you'll be able to watch it nationwide, even if you got bunny ears, if you have uh cut the cord. Yep. So it'll be fun. Um let's uh let's go real quick to we're just gonna touch on high school really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what we do here. We cover high school better than anyone else. Uh the KSLSports.com team got you covered with digital radio, TV everything um and so i was out of town this week so i haven't really gotten a chance i just got back um a few hours ago uh and basically came straight into work so i haven't had a chance to like look at much um but i just wanted to uh we put together a top five ranking starting at number five highland number four bingham number three american fork number two lone peak and number one corner canyon yes um, I have just on the outside, Farmington. Wow. Coming in at number six. So, um. The one loss Farmington. The one loss Farmington. Their their first losses of the season came against the defending 6A champs. Lone Peak in a tight game. They made a late push, but weren't able to, uh, get the upset victory. But I've seen enough from Farmington. I think they're going to be a contender in the 5A. Crazy. You could have been a contender. <laughs> um. I'm, I'm curious about Bingham. You have Bingham up there. Is it a legacy thing that this team's always good year in and year out? Or do you see something different from what I see this year? Because I saw Corner Canyon beat I just, up on Bingham. I don't know that there's anyone else in the 6A classification. I think that there's a first tier of four teams. And in that 
top tier. There's one team that has completely separated itself, and it's Corner Canyon. Mm-hmm. American Fork is probably the n- the next closest, um, just good. in terms of being able to compete with Corner Canyon because of the offensive firepower that American Fork has. Mm-hmm. Lone Peak is dang good defensively, but I just don't know that they have the offensive weapons because they don't play Nate Ritchie much on offense. Right. He's. I don't think he played at all when I watched that. Uh... Game on no, he, he basically comes in in red zone situations. If they know that they need a score, right? They'll throw him in at slot receiver and just throw the ball to him. Um, but uh, he's like the Swiss Army knife. He's like the Taysom Hill <laughs> of uh, of Lone Peak. And yes, you may think that I am exaggerating. He is no, he's, he's every bit as good as I am like making him out to be. He is really good. Um, but. Uh, I think the only team that could really match Corner Canyon's offensive firepower is American Fork. They put up like 58 points um, against East this week with their backup quarterback because their starter got hurt. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so I I am excited to see. That's actually the last game of the season, Corner Canyon, American Fork. That's probably going to decide the Region 4 title. And uh, And most likely the champs in the state. Well, it, yeah, it's going to make region a, a four difference. Is, yeah, is a championship. Well, region. the thing is too is American Fork destroyed Lone Peak last year in the regular season, but Lone Peak got the upset. Yeah, quote unquote upset in the state championship game. So they'll probably get a second crack at each other. Odds are that they will, but I mean that top three in that region between Corner Canyon, Lone Peak, and American Fork, it's going to be a fun race. Um, they got Sky Ridge too. Like, don't sleep mm-hmm. on Sky Ridge. Right. Really good team in America and Pleasant Grove. The PG. Vikings four zero um, to start the season, and so uh, that is a loaded um, region. Only four of those five teams are going to make it to state this year. So yeah, um, I'm excited. I, I love high school football. I'm excited to be back at it. I'm going to be down at Provo Springville this week. I'm expecting big things from that game. Major implications on Region Eight and uh, who could maybe control their own destiny. Um, in the five A classification because this is a this is an important win um, for both these teams to get. But mm-hmm. um, that's everything I have for high school. Yeah, I think I'm good too. I, I will think. say, um, in terms of pop culture stuff, was on several flights this weekend. Okay, what, are you, uh, what were you watching? Finally, got a chance to walk watch uh, Detective Pikachu. Oh, it's a good one. It's a really good movie. I yeah. enjoyed it. Um, it was a little predictable. Fun to see. Uh yeah yeah oh yeah totally new like from the beginning yeah but it's still fun yeah especially if you like your Pokemon like we well do. I just liked seeing that the live action version of it there's a lot of times that this has backfired with like Dragon Ball Z oh, and yeah. Avatar the Last Airbender but Ugh. I think because they didn't try they it it's a completely separate spinoff and that's one thing right. that Pokemon has done very well um for everything that it's done whether it's like pokemon pinball or um like the pokemon mystery dungeon games or pokemon coliseum yeah yes i know a lot about pokemon pokemon snap pokemon Pokemon snap like everything is a spinoff okay you would expect hey we're gonna go back to that original anime back in 1998 with ash ketchum misty brock and pikachu Uh and just revamp that no Everything that Pokemon does, they're introducing a new part of the Pokemon universe, and it all ties together. Like, there are posters on, I don't know what the main character, can't remember what his name was in, in the Detective Pikachu movies, but oh, right. he's got, like, 
um, in his bedroom on his wall. Yeah. Of like the Sinnoh Pokemon League Championship. Yeah. Um, and like Johto. Yeah. Indigo uh, League. Yeah. Like Indigo League stuff. Like all stuff that like those familiar with like the Pokemon universe. I just yeah. thought it was very nice. And like the fact that Pokemon has built this universe is really cool. Like the new games are coming out for the the Switch in November, November 14th. Actually, yes, I do know because I'm planning <laughs> on purchasing it. Um, I'm excited. They're making, uh, they're going to make a, a sequel to this movie. Oh, cool. They announced it um, shortly after the movie was released. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia, for that. Um, so I'm excited to see um, that that movie. But I, You're right, though. Like, it's you bring it up, and I never thought about this before, but you can go back and like talk about Pokemon with different generations of people and they all and have a different experience. They have a different, they'll yeah. be like, Oh, I loved like Ruby. And I'm like, Ruby. Yeah. Like I'm a blue and red guy. See, see, I started with yellow. Yeah. Um, and I got that when I was like five years old back in 1999. I remember I got, it was, this was so weird. I'm pretty sure it was 1999. Um, I think you're right. Um, because I think red and blue is in like ninety seven. So what? No, no. What I'm 90s. saying is, on my birthday, I think Easter happened to fall on the same day as my birthday. Mm, it wasn't. It wasn't nineteen ninety nine. It may have been two thousand. It was. It was the year two thousand. Okay. Easter fell on my birthday, okay. and I got a Game Boy Color with Pokemon Yellow for my birthday. Game Boy Color. They weren't backlit, right? They were just they weren't color. backlit. Yeah, yeah, it was just color. Okay. I had like this little like snake swirly gig <laughs> flashlight shine a light on it. the side to shine a light so I could play it in the dark. Those things would eat batteries. Oh yeah. Like and crazy. you had to use like double A batteries. And yeah. I remember like my parents kept the batteries on in this cupboard on like the very highest shelf. Um and I would like climb up and like pull down the hole. They kept them in a Tupperware bin. Um or not Tupperware, like a like a just like a plastic bin. I'd like rip the whole thing down and spill Kirkland batteries everywhere. They just pour it all over me. I'm getting battered by batteries um, to get it for my Game Boy Color. But yeah, that that was my first experience with Pokemon. Shortly after um, Pokemon Gold and Silver came out, I actually remember getting Gold. Not sorry, not Gold. I got Pokemon Silver version um, when my brother was born because my parents knew that um, they would be very busy with my younger brother so they mm, wanted something to smart let my parent let us me and my sister know that we were still equally important so my <laughs> sister got like a couple of dolls and i got pokemon silver which was like awesome for a six-year-old kid it's like the best thing that you could give them yeah and so silver was like like i i remember yellow but i i had such a hard time i could never get past brock because um you, you start, start with, with electric. a Pikachu, yeah, and you can't beat a freaking Onyx. And you and you're it's too early to like find a water Pokemon, like a real yeah, water yeah, Pokemon. yeah. So you're like using some like weird combination of like a Butterfree, a Beedrill, a Pidgeotto, <laughs> yeah, um, and maybe like if you can find like a Mankey or something like that <laughs> on Victory Road, uh, the very early parts of Victory Road that you can travel, trying to get something done with that, and eventually like. Once you beat Brock in that early uh, part of the game, like it's all smooth sailing from there. Then you have like this buff ass Pikachu that like can. It's like a level twenty two that has quick attack and slam. (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah, um, 
I, I have fond memories Good of memories. playing Pokemon Yellow, Pokemon Silver. I remember um, just I, I remember I freaking loved Chikorita and mm. uh, I almost said Torchic. That's the next one. Uh, Cyndaquil. Oh yeah, Cyndaquil was the fire starter. Um, I remember right. like thinking. Totodile is that Totodile was super dope. Evolved into for alligator. Um, I just remember, you know, so this was like the very early stages of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like nothing, like everything that you heard, like in terms of like video games and stuff like that was always like, um, like secondhand source. Like, right. Hey, I talked to my friend who said that he did this, this, and this. Yeah. You strength on the truck by the SSN and he found him pokeball with a mew in it um oh. or like stuff like that so, yeah and so i remember like being told that if you bred like a, a lugia with a ditto you'd get a baby lugia but once it got up to like level like 17 or something it would evolve into like a lugia too or something like that or like an evolved version of lugia so i remember like trying to do stuff like that and like messing with Missingno. another game that i remember yeah. doing stuff like that with was uh did you play Donkey Kong 64? I did. Okay. So I remember like being told that there was like the secret bonus level in like, you know, like the very first area of the game where like Donkey Kong's house is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like these bouncy leaves that you can jump on right outside Cranky's hut. Yeah. Before you talk to him. Yeah. Before you talk to him, there's like these leaves that you can bounce on. I remember being told that like, if you jump over these trees that were like the boundary of the map of the playing area, that there was the secret level that you could go into and it would like automatically get you like all the golden bananas. Oh. I remember just spending hours and hours <laughs> trying to find like this perfect spot. Same thing with like Diddy Kong Racing, like just trying to find like or Cheats. even Mario Kart six Mario Kart sixty four. So good. It was killer because Bowser's Castle. I remember being told that like if you used Bowser and drove backwards into a certain portrait of a boo that you could skip all the way to that the finish line. I heard the same thing about like Rainbow Road, where they're like, if you jump off the bridge, yeah, you'll land on the track underneath it. Yeah, I tried for hours and I couldn't yeah, get and it. That's like, like video games were like so simple back then, and you could be entertained doing stuff like that for hours. Do you remember Nintendo Power Magazine? I do. Oh, my gosh. And that's, I, that was, like, the other way you so got your cheats. we had this kid in my neighborhood. Um, his name was Parker. Uh, I'm going to leave out his last name just for privacy reasons. Yeah. Um, sure he doesn't want me spouting off his name. <laughs> um, but he was a couple of years older than me, and I remember he had, like, all the N- Nintendo Powers. And he would come over to my house, and we'd play, like, Ocarina of Time and Majora's oh, Mask. Yeah. Um and we'd like go and do like all these secret cheat codes that we'd find in like Nintendo Power, like and that's what it would like really slivers count. of like the walkthrough that you'd find. Like Ocarina um, of Time was like the, the I don't know one of the first games that I remember where it's like oh there's all these cheats and all these secrets and like all these things. Yeah, like all these hidden areas find. that you could yeah. go to. I remember going to CheatPlanet.com and there was always a risk <laughs> that you would get like a virus <laughs> on your computer trying to search it and my dad's like whoa we got to go get norton antivirus software because of this now (laughs) um so yeah i just man this is like taking me way back oh yeah good memories and like that's just cool because it's like that's this is kind of where our like generations collide like i'm not way older than you but i am older than you and like you know i remember like well um, i was like i was kind of like the uh i was the last 
generation, last group of like age group to kind of like experience that Nintendo 64 and like really get it for yeah. a couple years um, before the GameCube came in. It was like a factor, but yeah, it's kind of cool to reminisce all that stuff. That's cool. I'm glad you saw that movie. I really liked it. My kids really liked it. Yeah. Uh, and my son, especially like we when we watched the movie in theaters, he kept going like, oh, that's a Chansey. And yeah. oh, like all these old school Pokemon names and all these older people that are in the audience were like laughing because they're yeah. like, oh, those are our Pokemon. That yeah. Knows. And it's just cool. Yeah. The original 151. Yeah. Um, Music wise. Okay. We're, we're probably going way along, but this is just, we have to talk about this. You told me to listen to Taylor Swift's new album. Yeah. So good. It's really good. Um, I always, I was listening to it on the way home, you know, at two in the morning, driving all the way to Tooele. It's a good album to listen to driving home. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, I, I do need to clarify something. I did say last week that her singles sucked. I'm going to clarify that. Her singles aren't as good as singles that she's had on other albums like 1989 right. and Reputation. Or even um, her or even first Red. album. Yeah. Um, but the singles aren't the best songs on the album. No. I agree. And not by a long shot. Like, they're maybe not even in the top 10. I think it, she has 18 total tracks on the album. What was her first single? Me. Okay. With, oh, yeah. Uh, Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Um, pass for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was fun it when was it came fine. out and it was like this new bubbly song, but it's just so, the thing that was weird about me, um, the song, I know there are a lot of weird things about <laughs> me. We're not going to get into that because we don't have much time left. The thing that was weird about me is it's a completely different vibe from the rest of the album. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you look at songs like, I mean, I love, I forgot that you existed. It's kind of bubbly pop, but like at the same mm-hmm. time, like. It's not the same type of song that me is. And she also, like, I feel like back in her, like, Red album or even her country days, like, she has a way with words. Like, she can, she makes, like, really interesting phrases. Mm -hmm. And that song has a lot of those kind of lyrics where it's really interesting. Which one is it? The, um, the one you just said, the, some, the me Oh, me. Okay. Is it just me? Is that the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know all the track names yeah. yet. Um, but yeah, it's just really good. Anyways, keep going. Well, I was just going to say, just the versatility in this album is pretty wide-ranging. I mean, she's talking about... I mean, for a long time, she got a hard... She got a hard time because of a lot of songs were just about boys and falling in love. And it, this kind of shows her growth as a songwriter and as a, a as a music artist. I mean... You got I forgot that you existed, which is kind of like halfway a uh I I think it's a shot at Kanye. Really? That's my opinion. Okay. Um that was so long ago though. I know it was long ago, but the whole Reputation album was about Kanye, man. Okay. The whole Reputation album That's was true. about what Kanye did to her cuz she went away. That was the longest break that she took from music. I think it was like three and a half years. Yeah. It's the longest break that she took from music, and it was because of the whole recording the phone call and the Scooter Braun thing and Justin sure. Bieber, them all um, ganging up on her. Um, but then you look at like songs like Lover, um, which, you know, talking about like, you know, very, um, just like very special moments in her life and like this relationship. The Man, 
the feminist anthem, which is just <laughs> freaking awesome. You're right about the feminist anthem for sure. It's it's a great song. It's the best it's a song good on the song. album. Yeah. It's the best song on the album. No. Emma. No, it's not. It's the best song on the album. No, it's not. Okay, what would you say is better? I would say I forgot that you existed was a better song. Okay. Cruel I, Summer's a really good song. Cruel too. Summer's really good too. But I have to knock off points from that song because I like the original song. I mean, it's not a remake, but there's a song, Cruel Summer. You know which one I'm talking about. The one that's like, it's a cruel, cruel summer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, why did she name it the same name? Anyways, um, so you think The Man's the best song on the album. Absolutely. Musically, lyrically, all of it? All of it. Oh, wow. Actually, lyrically, I think I forgot that you existed. Like, the fact that it's she says- It's just so good. The fact that she says, in my feelings, in my feelings more than Drake, so yeah- you're on my lips, tongue-tied, free rent living in my mind, but then something happened one magical night. Those are bars. Yeah. And that's why I love that I song. I love the reference to Jake Drake in my feelings. So, yeah. Bars. Taylor Swift, you will not be surpassed. Number one fans, we are your lovers, baby. Um, okay. We're gonna, okay. One more thing. Did you listen to Post Malone's new album? Not yet. Okay. He he dropped a new album and it's fire. Okay. Um, so you got to listen to that on the way home because someday soon- I really want to have Post Malone on this show. We have a whole plan about what we're going to do. Uh, How we're going to entice him to come on the show. Yeah, it's going to be great. So anyways, um, yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to say. Yeah, there are a million other things that we could have talked about tonight. Nick Emery, mm, we don't really want to talk about it. Antonio Brown, holy crap, what the heck happened? I wish we got one more week of hard knocks. But, you know, the most important thing is that the Cougars, Utes, and yes, we forgot about the Aggies. We We didn't forget. We didn't forget about them. We just left him out because, you know what, our boy Matt Glade has you covered there. And, uh, Hammond, you were actually on with him this week. So yeah. um, just make sure you guys go check out all of our other podcasts on kslsports.com. Um, we got Cougar Tracks, Cougar Tracks, excuse me, Crimson Corner. And the Scotsman. Um, and the Scotsman in terms of uh, college football that are going on right now. Helmets Off, uh-huh. Rivals. You got the Unrivaled Radio Show. Cougar Great Sports stuff. Saturday. We got you covered everywhere. Go check, check it, it out. out at kslsports.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Sports Beat After Hours. I'm Hem Hamuli Jr. He's Zach Hicken. Good night, Sugarbug. <laughs>